Today we're going to examine two such stories, one starring a group of little kids and one that has to do with a little dude. Let's start with the little kids. This is out of Luke chapter 18, um, just three verses. People were also bringing babies to Jesus or young children to Jesus for him to place his hands upon them. That would be a sign of blessing. He would put his hands on them and bless them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked the families that were trying to do this, okay? But Jesus called the children to him and said, No, 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 no. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I'll talk to you about that in a moment. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. These verses are about an interaction that Jesus had with little kids, obviously, and it's one of many he has throughout Scripture. Like Jesus, i got to tell you, I love kids. That's why I was a youth pastor and did youth work for over 30 years. I love kids. But let's be honest, especially in dealing with little kids, kids are a workout. Like I've told you before, little kids totally remind me of my really drunk friends, okay? Because they're always stumbling around, falling down, knocking into things, struggling to control their bladders. You always have to watch them. You're always cleaning up after them. Little drunk people. That's what they're like, okay? But they're also awesome. They're this weird combination of messiness and weird and wonderful, all rolled up into one burrito of joy. I want to show you a picture that I particularly am fond of. Look at this little girl. You have to love what she did to obviously not her bathroom, her parents' bathroom, and you, it's a total mess, and yet you love her anyway. Particularly for me, I salute this young lady because she appears to be flushing her Barbie doll down the toilet, and you've got to applaud that little you know, action, all right? But we have to know something. In the first century time of Jesus, kids were not thought of in a super sentimental way probably because it was before laminate flooring and carpeting, so they just had dirt floors, so kids were just dirty. They were like walking dirt clods all the time. You never saw bumper stickers on people's donkeys saying, my kid's an honor roll student at such and such rabbinic school or anything like that. There are no Ann Geddes posters floating around, nothing like that. In fact, it wasn't until the 1700s when we sentimentalized children and we started to view them as innocent, wonderful little cherubs which they are not, if you've ever been around a child, okay? They're saints that we love. They're tiny little saints, but they're far from angels. I stole cigarettes and smoked them from my dad. I lit my parents' no, my own bedroom curtains on fire and skipped school for the first time, all before I was out of second grade, okay? Kids are not natural-born saints, okay? They're not angelic. In the first century, they knew this, and they also, I got just a little side fact here, in the first century, kids um, had a tough time. In fact, there was a 30% mortality rate in the time of Jesus, and another 30% died by the age of nine. So by age 10, 60% of the kids would have perished in this culture. It was a rough time back then. A child's worth wasn't connected to the fact that they were born and they're wonderful little cherub-like kids. A child's worth back then was based on the fact that someday they would make a really good replacement adult. They would be an adult, someone to carry on the family lineage, someone to increase the numbers of that particular tribe and therefore the power and the influence of that tribe. As a kid, they really didn't carry that much inherent worth and value. But Jesus does something that's against the cultural view. He embraces these little kids 
and says the most remarkable thing about him. He says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. By saying that, he was placing incredible worth on kids, and it's even deeper than that. He was asking us to not just value kids, but to actually become like kids, because that's when we get to experience the kingdom of God. Now remember something, I've told you this before. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about a future destination somewhere. He's talking about a current reality, something that's right here, right now. He's talking about becoming truly alive, living in a way that God dreamed that we could live when we're completely and fully in tune with him and his ways. Now, why would Jesus say that the childlike are the ones that get to experience this kind of really full life, this kingdom kind of life? Well, think about it. It makes sense to me. Because a child in the arms of Jesus, first of all, isn't afraid. They are not afraid. Fear doesn't prevent them from getting into the game, risk and all, because they know that this Jesus, whose arms they are in, who is embracing them, even if life shatters them into a million little pieces, this Jesus has the ability to put those pieces back together again, pulling off what Humpty Dumpty's crowd could never do, okay? A child in the arms of Jesus knows that their failures aren't fatal. They know that this Jesus who is embracing them has the ability to forgive them before they're even done asking because he loves second chances and clean slates. A child in the arms of Jesus knows it's okay to ask questions because this Jesus who is embracing them loves it when they grow and expand and evolve as humans because he's the one that said, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Ask and it will be given to you. A child in the arms of Jesus is free to have fun. So many people that I run across, especially as a pastor, are so dour and stoic in their life. And they think that especially when it comes to matters pertaining to God, they have to be somber and serious every moment. And it's killing them. Look at this verse out of Ecclesiastes 7, which is this ancient book of wisdom. Do not be over-righteous. So sin a little. <laughs> That's what it's saying. Do not be over-righteous. Neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? You're being too serious and it's killing you. The childlike are not afraid to have fun because they know that this Jesus who is embracing them is with them all the time. So every piece of ground is holy ground and every moment is a sacred moment. Even the moments when we dance and when we sing and shout and laugh so hard that our drink comes out of our nose. The childlike know that. A child in the arms of Jesus is filled with wonder, too. They know that Jesus gave them this great big world, a world that they should not take for granted, which all too often we do. Let me prove it to you. I want to show you a couple of images. Put image number one up here, could we, Joni? This is a cat. This is an angry little cat, isn't it? Wow. Okay, well, this is a cat. Okay, now we see pictures. <laughs> I'm sorry. Stephanie, my graphics person, that's pretty funny. Okay, um, but we see images like that, and we think, oh, it's just a cat, just an angry cat. Anything we see in this world is not just anything. Imagine you'd never seen a cat at all in your whole life, and one walks out in front of you. You would be utterly captivated by this furry little four-legged being going in front of you. You'd be riveted on it. You would think to yourself, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life you saw a dog okay but i'll just add that in there okay let me show you image number two 
This is the Aurora Borealis. And some of you see this picture, and this is an actual photograph, by the way. It's not Photoshop. You see this kind of picture, and you think, oh, what a beautiful nature scene. It's just a pretty, another pretty example of nature. No, it's not. It's far more than that. This is the sky dancing and moving like it's listening to a jazz song. This is beauty so profound. When you see it live, it affects your soul and angels gasp, okay? The childlike refuse to take things for granted in life. They know how remarkable it is that we're even here, that we even exist. So they refuse to become hardened and cynical. They refuse to walk sightless among the miracles that hit us every day of our lives. But instead, they know that everything and everybody is a gift, and they're wonderstruck at the goodness of it all. That's what the childlike are like. There's a, a wonderful author and a Hebrew theologian, and his name is Abraham Joshua Heschel, and he says this. I love this quote. I'll pop it up on the screen for you. To be spiritual is to be amazed. That is so true, because the childlike are amazed. That's why I have a tattoo of the word wonder on my arm. It reminds me to walk through life in childlike wonder. For these reasons and many more, it's no surprise to me that Jesus said that the kingdom of God is for such as these. It's for the childlike. Because when we trust Jesus and let him love us like we're a child being embraced by him, a whole new way of living is unlocked for us. All right? That's the little kids. Now let's move on to the story about the little dude. This is a famous story out of Luke chapter 19, actually. Let me read this for us. We can pop it up on the screen. Jesus entered Jericho and was just passing through. He was just going through town. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was wealthy because he was a white-collar criminal. That's what chief tax collectors made their money. They skimmed some money off the top for themselves. He wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. I don't think they're both the same thing. So I think it was just a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. It was kind of like a parade going through town. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I'll talk about that in a moment. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus replied to him, Today, salvation, my ways have come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Wow. Okay, this is a story about, obviously, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had a famous song written about him years and years ago, and it was not very flattering. It was, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. To which Zacchaeus would probably reply, I'm short, I get it, can we move on from this? And yet every children's Bible story ever focuses on the fact that this poor guy is short. I hope in heaven he got a heavenly body and he's like seven foot eight inches tall, okay? There's some important things, though, we can learn from this vertically challenged little individual, okay? And the first thing is this. Jesus always makes the first move. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus up in this sycamore tree, he immediately got all socially aggressive and said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house. He invited himself 
over, which is so strange and so wonderful at the same time. And this is important for us to notice because by and large in the Western world, we have made a relationship with Jesus all about what we do, all about us, all about what we do. If we'll do the right things, if we'll pray the magic prayer, if we'll read our Bible, if we'll go to church, if we'll stop cussing, if we'll say no to all the things our friends are doing for fun, then and only then we can have a relationship with God. We've somehow made this glorious divine relationship all about us, and it's not because God is a very, very important part of this equation, especially when you consider that it's Him that makes the first move. I want us to be honest here right now if we can. Some of you are in relationships, whether you're in a dating relationship or you're engaged or you've been married for a little while or been married forever, okay? I just want you to be honest. Raise your hand if in your relationship you're the one who made the first move. You're the one who instigated and initiated your relationship. You went after this person. You pursued them. It was you that was initiating things. Missy raises her hand right off the bat. Didn't even give Joel a chance. So just raise your hand. Keep it up for a second. I just want to see. Okay, look around you. So there's your initiators. Okay, now put your hands down. Now, let's get brutally honest. If you're sitting next to this person and you're the person that's in that relationship, I want you to raise your hand in a minute if you let them raise your hand because you want them to think that you're the initiator when the truth is that behind the scenes you were orchestrating all this stuff all along for months and weeks before they even had a clue of who you were as a human. Raise your hand if that was you. There you go. Okay? And there's probably more, okay, if you want to be honest. There's probably more. We can argue about who the relationship initiator was with us, but in our relationship with God, there's no argument. It was always Jesus. I want to show you a verse out of one of my favorite chapters of Scripture, which I actually have a lot of. This is Psalm 139. For God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. The reason I like that verse so much, it shows us something important. It shows us that God has been pursuing us since before we were even born. So if you think, oh yeah, I started my relationship with God, you're dreaming, okay? He's been pursuing you since before your birth. That's such good news for us. It means that God wants us enough to make the first move, enough to initiate things with us. All we have to do is respond. We just have to say yes to this glorious invitation to this divine romance that he's given us. That's what Zacchaeus did. He says in verse 6, he welcomed him gladly. Now let's be honest, he welcomed him gladly, but he must have been a little nervous. Because in that very moment, he knew that the very Son of God was coming over. I can imagine Zacchaeus went, wait just a minute, Jesus, I'll meet you in my house, give me ten minutes, and probably ran home as fast as his thought-off little legs would carry him, and got in there and thought, at the very least, I've got to tidy some stuff up, and I've probably got to hide some stuff, because he was probably afraid if Jesus knows everything about me, it might repel him. We have all kinds of repellents in the world. We have mosquito repellents. We have bug repellents. There's even a beer called hipster repellent, which is just the best, okay? Okay, so there's all these kinds of repellent. There's nothing that's going to repel Jesus from us. Nothing we can do or we can say. I was thinking the other day about the fact that um, my wife and I purchased cars for um, used cars. I gave them our old cars 
for both of our children. And they are quite nice, a Toyota Corolla and a Honda Civic. And they are so much nicer than Jessica and I's first cars. Have you noticed that? You give your kids way nicer cars than you had. I had a beat-up old 74 um, Toyota, and it was just dents everywhere, and it was lime green. It was a Celica. It was cool, but it was just not a very nice car. Jessica had a car that had no reverse. Have any of you had a car like that? So when you drive to some places, you have to pull into a parking spot where you can pull straight forward or else you're just stuck. That's exactly, I thought about Jessica's car when I was thinking about what Jesus is like. He has no reverse gear. He doesn't pursue us and then find out some of the hidden things about us and go, whoa, too much for me. I'm putting this baby in reverse and I'm going to pull away from you. He has no reverse gear. So, It's not about us trying to locate God. It's about us embracing and welcoming a God who is already there and who will never leave us because he has no reverse gear and he's constantly inviting himself into our life. Second thing we learn about the story has to do with seeing Jesus. It says right off the bat, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And we can relate to that. All of us want to see Jesus, not with our physical eyes, but our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart. We want to behold him. We want to discover new things about him. That's what we want to do. Zacchaeus actually shows us how we can get a better glimpse of Jesus. He does some things. The first thing he does is he climbs a tree. He was short. He knew he was going to have to do something unusual to see Jesus in this parade. So he does that. He climbs a tree. If we want to encounter Jesus, if we want to see him and discover new things about him, There are going to be times in our life when we're going to have to break away from the ordinary and do something unusual. For some of you, that means you have to read a book. Maybe you haven't read a book in years, but you have to read a book about God. You might not even know any books about God that are good to read. I know a lot. Joel knows a lot. Brandy knows a lot. The Reeds know a lot. You can ask anybody. In fact, if you want to start with one, start with one by Abraham Heschel, who I quoted called I Ask for Wonder. Start there, okay? But there's a lot of good ones that you can read. Some of you might have to humbly go to a mentor, someone that's known the Lord for like a thousand years. We don't value the aged in our community, and we should. There's a lot of people even in this room that have known the Lord for like 30, 40, 50 years. Invite them out to coffee, ask them questions, just wind them up and let them go and just soak in all their knowledge about the Lord. Some of you might want to go on a walk out in creation, not with your cell phones, throw those away or put them away or throw them away, whatever, okay? And go on a walk out in creation in total silence, just looking around and soaking in not only creation, but soaking in the creator. Maybe some of you will be called to have a personal worship time where you sing some worship songs out loud all by yourself. If you don't know the words, come and steal them. There's sheets over here, okay, up here. Just steal the words right now and just have a personal worship time. You might have to break out of the ordinary, and when you do, you'll get a glimpse of Jesus. You'll see him in a whole new way. Second thing that Zacchaeus did is he got above the crowd. Because he was short, again, he climbed the tree so he could see over the crowd. The crowd affects our view of Jesus. Some of us are so paralyzed by what others think about us. We succumb to so much peer pressure, and it causes us to lose sight of Jesus. And we've got to change that. I want to show you a video that my wife and I watched, and I just got the biggest kick out of that. I have three favorite college football teams. The Ducks are my favorite college football team. The second favorite team is anybody that's playing the Huskies, okay? And my third favorite team is the University of Central Florida, 
because they didn't lose a game last year, and yet they didn't get invited to the national championship. They got totally hosed in my mind. They still haven't lost a game, and there's this moment in the game recently where the crowd's going wild, and the camera's panning out to show people in the crowd because they're winning yet again. I think they won 21 games in a row or something ridiculous now. Look at this individual and what he does. This, I love this, okay? figure on campus now they'll have parties and they you can google it and you'll see these parties in these bars everybody's drinking and carrying on and then there's him he's just staring oh my gosh he's funny but i saw that and i thought that's what we need to be like on a spiritual basis i know that's a funny video but that's what we need to be like we need to forget what people are thinking about us what they're saying about us and we need to rivet our attention on jesus i read the bible every day of my life not because i have to i don't have to Okay, I read it because it's one of the greatest ways to focus my attention, not on the people around me, not on the busyness around me, but on Jesus once again. That's what Zacchaeus did. He got above the crowd. And the last thing that Zacchaeus did in order to see Jesus, he shed his greed. Greed can blind us faster than anything I know to the reality of the presence of God in our life, which is why Jesus in chapter 18 famously says, It is easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That verse gets way more interesting when you realize that legend has it, the eye of the needle wasn't just a metaphor. It wasn't just, you know, a turn of a phrase. But instead, it was an actual place. It was a very narrow gate in the wall that surrounded this great city of Jerusalem. The gate was so narrow that when traders and merchants came to Jerusalem, in order to get their camels who were packed to the hilt with all their wares and goods that they were going to sell and market, in order to get them through the eye of the needle gate, this narrow gate, they had to unload their camels, strip them of all their wares and packs, and then the camel could walk through this narrow gate. So this verse is saying, hey, it's difficult, but it's doable for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. But in order for them to do that, they're going to have to lose some stuff. They're going to have to strip themselves of their greed and materialism, then they can enter into this amazing way of life. That's what Zacchaeus did when he announced, I'm giving half my stuff to the poor, and I'm going to pay back four times over those that I have cheated or frauded. He was stripping himself of greed in order to get a better view of Jesus. And we're going to do that today. Some of you have never experienced us doing this. Oh my gosh, this is like my favorite Sunday of the year. I look forward to this. Once a year... I ask you to donate shoes. You know where I'm going. Yes! You love me for this, okay? I ask you to donate shoes because we're, we partner with Catholic Community Services and they're begging for shoes at the onset of winter because so, much, so many people, especially the houseless friends that we have in the area, don't have good shoes and their feet get wet and all kinds of diseases happen and they just suffer. So I said, we'll get you shoes every year. And they, they cry. They, they're like near tears sometimes. Sometimes I think they did cry. When I bring them, I bring them bags of shoes. and It's like I get to be a white, skinny Santa 
washcloths every year. It's just wonderful. But I don't ask you for your rubbish shoes, the ones you mow the lawn with. I ask you for your good shoes. I ask you for the ones you're wearing right now, which means, oh, this is so great. It's so uncomfortable and unsanitary and glorious, okay? I'm going to ask you at the end of the service, which means you're going to have to go to some of these events, these lunches and stuff, shoeless, okay? It's going to be great. But I'm going to ask you that you give me the shoes you're wearing, unless you're wearing high heels. Then you're out. can't have high heels, okay? So if you're wearing high heels, you're lucky. The rest of you, I'm asking you to go home shoeless or to stop by and buy a $5 pair of flip-flops on your way to lunch, whatever it takes. I'll be the first donator. I always am. I'm going to give you my shoes. Oh, there you go. Okay. So there you go. Mine are off. If you want to, don't feel any pressure. There's no peer pressure. Get beyond the crowd. But if you can, I would deeply appreciate it. And it's in things like this, small little things like this, when we strip away our greed, that we can get a better view of Jesus. So good way to practice. Now, doing all these things that I just mentioned, like doing unusual things, getting above the crowd, stripping away your greed, it won't make Jesus magically appear in your life like you found a lamp and you rub it and a genie pops out. That's not how it works with God. Doing these things just puts you in a place where you recognize the God that is already there in your life. Just like Zacchaeus saw Jesus who was already there in his town. Okay, so we learn from this story that God always makes the first move. We learn that there's some things we can do to get a better glimpse of Jesus. And one last thing, this story teaches us about repentance, which is just a fancy church word for changing your mind so you change the direction of your life. You're heading down a bad path, a wrong direction. You change your thinking about that, and you turn around, and you head in a good direction, on a good path. That's what that word means. When most people read the story, they think it's mostly about Zacchaeus' repentance. He needed to repent from being a cheat and from being greedy and turn around and start heading towards generosity and towards God. And that's true. But I don't think the main point of this story was about Zacchaeus' repentance. I think it was about the crowd's repentance. Check this out. When Jesus announced he was going to Zacchaeus' house, it ruffled some feathers. Some people in the crowd started mumbling about Jesus. They were basically wondering, why is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, going to the house of this notorious little sinning turd bag? Which is a paraphrase. I don't know the Greek word for turd bag, but it's probably in there, okay? They were wondering why he's going over there. But wow, were the tables turned on them so quickly. Because when Zacchaeus announces that he is going to give half of his possessions to the poor and and pay back those he's defrauded, he uses the past tense form of the verb, which means he's been doing these things for quite a while. Jesus recognizes that this godly, wonderful, beautiful transformation has taken place in Zacchaeus' life. So he tells the crowd, this is a son of Abraham which is a great compliment. It's, it's Jesus saying, this is a godly man. This person has God all over his life. He said this to make a point to the crowd. He was saying, Zacchaeus isn't the one that needs to repent. He's already done that, and you can tell by how he's living. You're the ones that need to repent because you've been shaming him and looking down on him and thinking that you're better than him for a long time now and you need to change. What a shocker. They would have never saw this coming, but that's how Jesus rolls. 
every time in our lives when we think the issue is about the other person and how this other person needs to change, Jesus turns the tables on us and said, ah, that might be true, but let's stop focusing on them. Let's pop the hood and take a look at what's under the, the surface of your life instead. I want to read to you, it's a short, it's an autobiography of her life, and it's so great, by Portia Nelson, and it's totally short. Look what she writes about her life that has to do with the story of Zacchaeus. Chapter 1, I walk down a street. There was a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down a different street. <laughs> That's the autobiography of her life. And it's such a great story. It's the story of repentance because God wants us to stop playing the blame game and the shame game and instead look at our own lives and examine them with Him and start walking down different streets than the ones we're on if they're not helpful. Let's pray.